Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jeremiah. Or should I say, Jerry? Okay, you guys don't know why we're laughing, but we just had a great conversation with Maria Lawton, and she said that um, in her mind, sometimes she thinks of Jeremiah as Jerry, so I think that should be your new (laughs) new (laughs) nickname from here on out. Yeah, I've had a lot of nicknames through the years. Um, The one that stuck, though, is my family calls me Jer, but I'll be Jerry for you, too, any day. Yeah. Oh, Jerry. Thanks. <laughs> so how are you? What's going on? I'm well. I'm, I'm very good. And um, I'm prepping for a trip to Portugal, which is a great coincidence in the sense that we are interviewing one of my dear friends who is a Portuguese Azorian cookbook author. And um, we talked to her earlier and we can't wait for you all to hear her beautiful stories about how she grew up, her time in Portugal, her time here in the U.S., the story of her family's immigration, and how food and baking has woven its way through that story. It's um, really special. And before we jump into that, how are you? What's going on in your your life, your week? I'm doing really well. So um, I've been busy baking as usual, but I kind of took a a break from some of the cake orders to practice for this recipe. I wanted to make something Portuguese. And so you sent me one of Maria's recipes for cavacas, which you guys will hear. She says it in a much more beautiful way than I do. (laughs) But for me, it's cavacas. And um, they're basically kind of a whipped egg milk oil mixture where you you beat a lot of air into it, bake it, they puff up like a popover and then glaze it in a lemon powdered sugar glaze. And they are so delicious. So I'm, I mean, I was super excited to talk to her just purely from that recipe. It was a great introduction to her for me. So that's what I've been up to. So I want to get straight to the interview and I want people to know that Maria is incredibly inspirational, and I just want all of you to cozy up, really relax, and enjoy this beautiful food journey. And if you don't know Maria, so she grew up in the Azores, which you'll learn about, and she has a book called um, Azorian Green Me and Azorian Cooking from My Family Table to Yours, and she's working on her follow-up cookbook, and also she is going to be releasing on PBS Um, a Portuguese cooking show called Maria's Portuguese Table, and that will launch later this year. So we're so excited to share these really meaningful stories with you. Maria, welcome to Flower Hour. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on, Um, sweetheart, you. Uh, You know, for those that don't know Jeremiah, he is a handsome devil. <laughs> it's those Portuguese jeans. This is like documented now. I love that this is part of the podcast because this is pertinent information. Is. I, I think everyone out there should know that. 
Can everyone feel me blushing through the microphone? This is. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, my dear? Oh, I I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, you know, it's been a very, I'm coming out of a very busy 2017 and you know, this is the beginning of 2018 and I, I'm kind of like resting. I'm taking like this month of January to just kind of rest a little um, and kind of catch up with everything that happened in 2017. And it was a lot. I had I had a lot on my plate and, uh, and I'm looking forward to so many things that are going to be happening very soon, very soon. Well, I'm so excited for all of our listeners to get to know you because you bring so much to our world in terms of baking and cooking and your knowledge of Portugal and the Azores. So I just want to dive right in into where it all started. Can you tell everyone where you grew up? Um, I was, um, I was born. We'll start that way. We'll start. Yeah, I love it. Four score and seven years ago. No, no. Uh, (laughs) I I was born in the island of San Miguel and San Miguel is a part of a nine island archipelago that is right in the middle of the Atlantic. And some people say we're the lost Atlantis, which I, I, truly believe that because it's just the most gorgeous place. Um, and I was born there. My family had lived there for centuries in that, in that island of San Miguel. And uh, I came here, we immigrated here to the United States when I was six years old. Um, my family um, came to the um, southeast coast coast of Massachusetts. And we settled in um, a very heavily populated Portuguese community, which is uh, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. So I grew up um, there. I grew up in um, in what was like almost like a little Portugal <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. So um, and there I and here I've lived. I've lived here now uh, for the rest of uh, till now. I've been living here in Massachusetts. So, but my father's family is still in San Miguel. My father mm-hmm. was the only one who immigrated here. Uh, my mother was the last one in her family to immigrate over. So all of my mother's family, which was the smaller side of the family is, uh, is all here in the United States. But I'm very lucky that when I do go back to San Miguel, that all of my dad's family is still there. So it's almost like a, a family reunion every time I go back. And, um, so, and I'm the, you know, I'm still very close to a lot of my cousins, and I have aunts who are in their 80s now. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, one that's going into her 90s now. So it's just, um, it's wonderful to see them. I have like one uncle, was my dad's brother. He's, um, he almost looks like my dad. So when I go back, it's like, you know, you see him in the first time, it's like, oh my God, it's like you see your dad. You know, and like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very close to my heart. Um, you know, it the the place itself is uh, is just beautiful. For those that haven't gone, it's a semi-tropical island. 
Um, and it is really, truly beautiful. It has a botanical garden. It, it's, it's a, you know, we're a volcanic island. So our beaches are dark, uh, stone or dark, dark sand. Uh, we have waterfalls. We have hot springs. Um, it's just all, it's like a, it really is like a fairy tale. It, it, tr- it truly is. Every time I'm there, I feel like I'm living in a fairy tale there. Um, and for those that have never been there, you should go. You should absolutely visit. It sounds magical. I'm ready to just uh, scoot on out right about now. <laughs> you know, it really, and it's only for, from, I know you're out in California, um, Jer- uh, I keep wanting to say uh, Cherry, <laughs> like <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, but it, from here in uh, up in Boston to come out of Logan, it's only four and a half hours. Right, so fast. It's just so fast. So, Amanda, you're not that far away. It's it. It can. It, you're out of New York, correct? I'm in Atlanta, so probably a five five and a half hour flight. Yeah. Probably not too bad at all. Oh, but yeah, not at all. And um, and summertime, of course, is the height of uh, season for everyone going out there to vacation to see a festa, a feast. There's a feast that starts in May which is the Feast of Santo Cristo. And that is the beginning of feast season in the island. And that goes up until the first weekend in October. So if you go from May to the first week in October, you will find a feast or a festa in one of the villages on that island. So and all the villages take their turns having um, feasts all through the summer. So every weekend there is a party to go to. And, uh, <laughs> and that includes the bands and the dancing and the food. And, you know, so it's just all, it's all amazing stuff. So summertime is very full of tourists. And, uh, and my favorite time to go is before May. <laughs> <laughs> and the end of September, October, you know, that. And last time, Bob and I, my husband, Bob and I, who is not Portuguese, he's English, Irish, but uh, my family is convinced he's Portuguese because <laughs> he just loves everything about the culture. And uh, so we went back last time, just the two of us, we went there in November. And we thought, oh, you know, November, let's see, you know, it should still be okay, but it'll be a little brisky at night in the morning. But, and that's exactly how it was. And it was like, they were like, oh, wear a sweater, make sure you bundle up. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to be chilly. Oh no. It was like, you know, 60, 70 degree weather for, it was amazing weather in November and in that night it gets a little cool in the morning too but the sun comes out in the daytime it's just gorgeous and beautiful and there were no tourists oh no now i said oh, wow. that now everybody's gonna go in <laughs> <laughs> there is no official religion of portugal um it's pretty much like 90% Catholicism. So the island, um, even though there are, there's a synagogue, there's some, um, if I'm not mistaken, Episcopal or Christian 
church is the majority of all the other uh, part of the island. It, it's all um, Roman Catholic. So the feasts pertain to a the church at a certain village. So it is the church that leads these feasts. And it's the community within that village that puts that feast together. So I know for my, um, the village my family is from where I was born is Rosar de Lagoa. And Rosar de Lagoa is the last feast in the whole island. It's us. We're the ones who have it last. And my cousin Juan is the one that works with the church. He's like the head guy uh, who who heads up this feast. So it takes them all pretty much all year to coordinate this feast that happens once <laughs> a year in your village. Wow. So it's, uh, and it ends with, you know, each night it ends with fireworks and it's, it's huge. It's this big, it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful Sounds like the grand finale of all the other feasts. So you have to go big. Yes. Um, yes. So I was, um, I love how as a family that immigrated, it sounds like clearly you still stayed very connected because it's always so sad when you hear a family that's had to immigrate and, or chosen to immigrate, whatever the reason may be, and they lose those family connections. Um, and it doesn't sound like the case at all for you. So with baking, I'm curious, did you, start loving baking while you were very little living in Portugal or did it happen in America? When did that spark in you? In America. And it's funny when we came over, um, we came over at a time when um, there had been, um, if I'm not mistaken, the year before there was an ex- uh, a volcanic eruption in the island of uh, Fayal, if I'm not mistaken. And that had opened the doors to refugees, uh, uh, Azorian refugees, to come to the United States. And that was President Kennedy who had done that. And um, and then what had happened is a year or so later, he opened it up to all of Portuguese. And um, But before that, people had immigrated from Portugal over. But during that time in the early 60s is when it they really opened the doors even more uh, for the Portuguese to immigrate over. My, um, as I had said before, my mother was the last one to come over. My grandparents had been here um, for a good, my goodness, 10 years before we had immigrated over. Uh, But when we immigrated here to the United States, it was because we were also part of a dictatorship. Uh, Salazar was a dictator. Um, things were very oppressed for the people of Portugal, including all the Azorians and the islands and all of that. And, um, and you know, if you spoke bad about his government as a dictator, you know, in the middle of the night, you would get a knock on the door and someone would come and get you and you wouldn't be seen again. I mean, these are, these are the things that people were living with during that time of dictatorship. So my father, um, who had um, been to Canada um, also for work and had been to other uh, parts of the world, um, had seen what was out there, (laughs) and he wanted more for his children. And this this is the whole reason for us coming here, and that was he wanted better for us. And um 
And when we came here, my family, um, it, everything is family. You surround yourself with family. Uh, my best friends were my sisters and my cousins. I mean, those are the ones that you grew up with and uh, the Portuguese community kind of stuck together in its own, uh, very close and supported each other. Um, in, you know, it, it, that's how I remember it. We lived in a community that we would walk to church and it was a Portuguese mass. We would walk to the bakery. It was a Portuguese bakery. We would walk down another corner there. It was a, a Portuguese fish market. Another one was, so all the, it became like we left the island, but then the island all came here uh, for a <laughs> little bit, you know, and it was everybody around each other. And um, we lived in a three family home. And um, my parents soon, uh, when, after getting here, we, we bought a three family home. They bought a three family home and it was, us on the first floor, my grandparents on the second, and my aunt and uncle on the third. So my whole close immediate family were all living in this three-family home. And when I was little and I had to go to school, there was no bilingual program. Um, it was, you know, you went to school. <laughs> you had to speak English. You had to assimilate. That was part of um, you know, we're, we're talking way back when folks, cause I'm an old lady. Um, you know, was, you know, it, this is how it was. You, you had to assimilate. And when, you know, going to school, I had to speak English, but coming home, we only spoke Portuguese at home. And when I got home, my grandmother was always baking and I would literally come home from school. I would not even stop on the first floor and I would go up those stairs to the second floor because I knew my grandmother was going to be baking something and, or she was waiting for me to get home and we would bake together. Aww. That was my day and I loved it. She was my, not only my maternal um, grandmother, but she was also my madrinha which Madrina means godmother. She was my, um, my godmother of uh, my christening. So, and we had a very strong bond together. And um, for those out there who, you know, are all born in hospitals and all that stuff, that's great. But I had a midwife deliver me. All of my mom's children was, we were born in the house. And I was I was born in January. I can say that much. And January is the wettest season there is on the island. That's their winter is, is rain. And I guess when I was born, there was like this major rainstorm, of course. Of course, I came out with the lightning, thunder, rain, you know, the whole bit. And my dad, oh, yeah, I had to make a grand entrance, you know. And so my, I, my dad has the story of, he would always tell me, he goes, yeah, I had to run, you know, to get the, the midwife, you know, who was lived a, a couple of streets over from our house to wake her up in the middle of the night to come and deliver me. And my grandmother, my madrenga, was there. So she caught me. Wow. She caught me. And so she would always say, I'm the one that held you first. I caught you, you know? So it was something where um, 
we had a very close bond from the beginning. And she lived till 96 years old. And she was just the most beautiful person. And so in going up those stairs, I could either smell something baking or, like I said, we would bake together. And so all these baking memories, a majority are from her. That is so special. Yeah, it really is. And what's funny is, is if she didn't have something, um, and it was like, oh, okay, she'd make papage. She'd make, mm-hmm. which is the the little, um, it's uh, a porridge, but she would add chocolate a powder to it. Wow. And she would, you know, have that for me. Or if it was, um, you know, something quick, it would be old day old bread or two days old bread. We usually bread did not get older than a day in our home. And, um, and it would be cut in slices. And then she would, you know, dip it in egg and sugar and then fry it and then more sugar on top. And then that was our dessert. You know what I mean? Like she would just come up with all of these like different little things that were, and she had a sweet tooth, which was, I think that's where I get that from. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. How would you describe Azorian Portuguese baking to our listeners? The thing with baking is baking bread was always something that was always done. Whether it was the Portuguese cornbread, which in the Azores, it is not made with the yellow cornmeal um, or the yellow corn flour. It was made with white corn flour. So the um, the yellow corn flour tends to be more, um, yeah, we, we just, that wasn't something where we did in, in my family. Um, so it was a, and we liked the ratio of half um, flour, half uh, white corn flour. And um, mm-hmm. so it made it a little bit more, it rose more, it was softer inside, it wasn't as coarse, but on the outside it was like nice and crunchy and inside it was moist. Um, that cornbread was something we always had at home, always baking. Um, home bread, my mom always had a starter. She always had a starter in her cabinet. I always remember that. Um, and you would, you know, that was what she would have to start her her other breads that she would make. She would have a starter there. Um, and you always wonder when you're a little, like, what the heck is that in the in the cabinet? <laughs> that she had. She had a starter all, all the time to make her breads. So bread was something that is in our is always baking. For desserts and other baking, we always thought, and this, how can I explain it? There's different like um, times of the year where you would bake different things. So I always knew like it's Easter, we're going to have sweet bread. Um, Or around Christmas, we'd have sweet bread. We wouldn't have sweet bread any other time of the year. It was like for special occasions or if there was a wedding, like, or, you know, like something major important, that's when you would make sweet bread. Uh, but for the most part, it would be, how can I explain it? You'd always have biscuits, uh, at home. You'd made that all the time because that's what you would have to have with your tea. You would have your, your biscuits always made. You'd always have a container always with biscuits. That's, that's a no brainer. I never had a, you know, people have cookie jars. We used to have jars filled with biscuits. Um, 
than it was on weekends. Um, you know, Saturday, especially you would bake a cake on Saturday because you knew on Sunday you were going to have visitors coming to your house, whether it was family, most of the time it was family, or if it was a friend here and there, it would be Sundays because Sundays were meant to be, you know, a very social time between family and, and seeing everyone and catching up with everyone. So Saturday night was always a cake a different type of cake all the time. My mom had about three or four that she would do all the time. And, um, but if we couldn't touch the cake, <laughs> we could only look at the cake. <laughs> and we, when we were little, we we're thinking, oh, wow, if we don't have visitors coming, if we don't have visitors, that's our cake Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always a little part of us that would wait for Sunday afternoon going, okay, can we go at it now? Can we cut a slice now? Do you think visitors will come now or not? So it's, it was always, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think we're very close to, um, I have a lot of friends that are Italian and I come very close to the same way of feeling of the way we, we think of our food and our baking. Um, you know, it's um, it, it's a family friend kind of thing. Um, you know, you don't you bake for others. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a way of showing love. Um, it's comfort. I mean, I love. There's nothing like something baking in the oven and that smell that overtakes and overpowers the room and the house there, there's something comforting about that. And, um, there's, there's nothing, I, I, I can't, I can't think of anything else that does that, that moves my heart more than that. I agree with you very much there. We've moved a lot, my family. And every time we move, it feels like the first time you bake somewhere, that aroma, it definitely makes a place feel like a home more than most anything else, more than your things. And, as soon as you smell that smell of something baking, you feel like you've found your way home. Um, but if I could, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about some of the differences of Azorian baking and more like continental Portuguese baking. Okay. Everything I know about Portuguese baking is from Jeremiah. And so I'm still very much a newbie, but I know there's some differences. I'm just not sure what they are. Well, you know, I think... In the continent, I find a lot of heavy eggs and sugar, heavy, mm -hmm. like a lot of egg and sugar cream. That is like, um, how can I explain it? A lot of, um, yeah, a, a lot of that, which is delicious. I mean, my God. Um, and a lot more of that know that custard that heavy cream it's the heavy cream it's the eggs it's the sugar a lot of that um and i i also i think it's also because of how our surroundings are um you know if you live in lisbon 
you're not going to have, you know, cows in the back of your yard or, you know, just down the road or whatever. It's a city. Um, so you're, I, I, I just, I, I see Portuguese, the Azorian ones much heavier into more using more milk than it is for cream. I see um, things a little bit more simple. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. It's not as, um, I don't know, it, it's not as fancy. Does that, I just, it's just a little more simple. The taste is amazing still, but things are a little bit more simple. And it's not like more rustic or something. Yeah, right? it's like not more. as refined as some of the most delicate things I've seen that come from Portugal. And you go, oh my god, that is amazingly beautiful. Um, whereas what we make, I mean, I find a cake beautiful when I look at it, but you can't compare. You know what I mean? Some of the delicate things that are made um, to how we made it. And it, you're right. It is much more rustic, our, our way of making things. And, you know, it's funny, you know, how people talk about the queijadas, pestalhas de nata. Pestalhas de nata is something that is so huge and big now everywhere. But growing up, I never ate that. I never ate a pestal de nata because in the Azores, we had queijadas de leite. Now, because we in the Azores, especially depending on certain islands, there are two cows to every person. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> and, and so we have a lot of milk uh, that is produced in those islands. So we produce a lot of beautiful, amazing cheese. We produce a lot of, um, and a lot of our cheeses are incorporated into some of the things that we bake. But like the fresh cheese like the queijadas de Vila Franca, that is made with fresh cheese. Uh, the thing is, is what we do with uh, all that milk is we make different desserts by adding not so much cream, but milk. And that changes the consistency of it all. And so now, of course, I enjoy a pastel de nata like anyone else. Um, but to say, oh, yeah, you know, I was raised on that. Absolutely not. It was my um my milk tarts that is something where i grew up with and i adore um you know there is no flaky puff pastry crust on that or you know any because number one we didn't have time for that <laughs> we just didn't have time for it. <laughs> no patience for it no time for it we just go you know just do this whatever and uh you know that to me a milk tart is something that brings back amazing rest i mean uh, memories food memories that um that to me you know i enjoy i enjoy even more um so yeah it, it's it's i think it's where things are located uh we cooked by what was around us we baked with what was around us um so we may do differently in an island versus you know, in the continent. Uh, right. But I mean, we, I think we all, we have to understand, we all, our islands, Portugal in all, Portugal in our islands, we have been cooking, I mean, cooking and baking in a way that 
if you look at different, um, you know, um, areas of the world is very similar to the way that they cook and bake. And one of the things that my mom would make all the time and bake, well, not, it's, it's a bread, but it's made in the skillet. And it's, it's called a bultstal. Now, sirtan is the vessel that you would use, was almost like a clay, a clay type of vessel that you would use on top of the wood burning that you would uh, bake your, uh, your flatbreads on. And it's a flatbread. And it's, it's the most delicious thing. And she would make it, especially if we were having fish. If we were having fish that was grilled or roasted or anything like that, we would have, or especially like the stuffed mackerel. Oh my God. The baked stuffed mackerel she would make. She would always make these, um, bullshit and, and it is as easy as, you know, flour, water, salt. It, I mean, it's just a very simple, it doesn't rise. There's no leveling in it. And it goes, um, of course, it has some fat in it, uh, lard most of the time. Um, and it would go on the skillet and you would make the shape of it and no oil on the skillet. I use my cast iron when I do this now. And you toast either side, both sides. And it is amazing. Um, and you look at other nationalities and you look at it and you go, oh, my goodness, that's a little Moroccan. You know, or that's a little... Oh, the, you know, you, you have all these influences because of all of these countries that came through and kind of overtook us for, you know, many, many years and centuries, you know. You know, the Dutch came through us and they gave us cheese, which is an amazing thing. Now we have cheese and we have the pink, the, the blue and white painting tiles that came from them as well as Moroccan tiles. I mean, we've got so many influences that we have from, you know, so many places in the world. Um, you know, I think Portuguese baking, Portuguese cooking, I think we're the true fusion cooking. I have to tell you a story in, in my research for my cookbook. I've been reading a lot of history and I, I mean, I'm going to tell you this story and I hope it's true. It's very interesting, but you never know, you know, if it's, is it more legend or is it actually truth? But so back in the time of the discoveries, so we're talking 14, 1500s in the South of Portugal, almonds are a big deal. Yeah. There's these great stories about how when it was ruled by the Moors, um, the Moorish uh, prince planted all of these almond trees to um, please his Nordic princess. So she came from the North and missed snow. And so he thought when all of these almond trees blossom and lose their petals, it'll look like snow in the South of, Par of Portugal. It's a beautiful romantic story. Okay, but that's just not the story I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> it's okay, so, Jeremiah, just keep saying it, baby. Just tell the story. <laughs> it's just, it's story time with Jerry. Jer Jerry. I, love, I love all this, all this stuff. Okay, so almond paste, marzipan for centuries has been a big part of southern Portugal. And during the Inquisition, this history I was reading, a lot of the Jews, of course, were, were forced to leave um, Portugal and Spain. And what they took with them was this almond paste, and they took it to countries like Germany, Austria, and France, where 
almond paste is a huge part of their baking tradition. So it's fun to see how Portugal from the really early on and influenced Europe as well. And just this kind of, you can trace these lines back and forth between countries. But um, during the time of the discoveries, Portugal had more cake recipes than any other country in Europe because there was so much sugar and riches and spices and interesting ingredients pouring into Portugal first um, that influenced a lot of Europe. And I, and I think people don't even realize that because we're such a small, small country, but we have a big heart. <laughs> you know, it's, and that's the whole thing. It's funny how, you know, Portugal, we were the discoverers. We discovered so much. And it's funny to think that now we are being discovered because there are still so many people that don't know all that is good, you know, on all the things that we have done um, as being Portuguese. Um, and, and what, <laughs> yeah, and what we've done and how great we are, you know, and it's funny, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm going to get on my soapbox. It, when, it, when I was little and again, I would go upstairs, you know, my grandparents there in the second floor, my, my key thing is, you know, Sunday, Sunday lunches, Sunday lunches was a big thing in, in my home. And because it would be an all day, an all day event. And with my, you know, my grandparents being there at the table also, and sometimes my aunt and uncle, but we would go into deep, deep talks about being Portuguese. And like I had said before, outside I spoke English, but inside the house, we were only allowed to speak Portuguese. That was the way we could um, stick to not forgetting who we are and where we came from. And my grandfather was, uh, I mean, he read constantly. I always have visions of my grandfather with a book in his hand. And he was always reading, always reading. And he would sit at the table and pretty much give us like history lessons. And, um, and I would just sit there and listen to him because again, that was my grandfather and I adored him. And he would go into saying how great we were, you know, the Portuguese, you know, this is what we did. You know, of course there's some things in history that are not as, you know, nice too. We all have good and bad in our histories. And, but he would talk all about the good. And so we would leave that table being even more proud of who we were because of all these amazing things that, you know, that we did and what we discovered and, you know, how amazing we are, you know, how, um, you know, the thing of not being afraid, that was something that was kind of always instilled in me um, because, you know, we can't be afraid um, to try to do because we come from those discoverers that's in our DNA. These are great people that's in us. And I was always, since I was little, um, they, uh, my maternal, uh, there's a Cabral in the family name and Cabral was a discoverer. And my grandfather would say, you know, and don't forget, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is where we come from. And all of us Portuguese, this is where we come from. We come from these great people. And it takes courage to leave your land and come to another. It takes courage. It takes, uh, it takes 
a, a way of saying, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to do better and I'm going to even do more. Um, and that is just, it's instilled. It was instilled in me. Um, and it's something I think that we can't forget as being Portuguese or being, uh, you know, whatever nationality you are, of being how proud you are of, of where you come from, where your people come from. And, and taking all of that, that's in our DNA. Um, I, I can't, um, I cannot be someone that I'm not because this is who I am. And I'm very proud of who I am. Um, and I, I love it when someone loves and is very, uh, comfortable in their skin and saying, yeah, this is who I am, honey. You got to love it or leave it because this is it. You know, this is me. Absolutely. Speaking of courage, it takes a lot of courage to not only write a cookbook, but to be working on a second follow-up and a TV show. Amazing amount of courage. Can you talk to us about how all these projects are going? Well, it takes courage, and obviously, I must be a little crazy. I don't know. <laughs> because let me tell you, I mean, I have loved every minute of it. You know, the thing with writing a cookbook, and I think, you know, the, the great thing, folks, is I've met Jeremiah, and um, and I'm so, so happy I did. I'm, you know, just so proud of you, so proud of Amanda. I'm so proud of both of you, um, you know, watching you with what you did and, and where you're going. I, I love everything, and I, I can't help but always support people who have a vision, have a dream, and they go for it. And um, so with that being said, I, you know, I lost my my parents. You know, I was in my late 30s and both of my parents were gone. Um, and I lost my parents, my grandparents, um, very close to each other. So it was within the span of a few years, I lost all of them. And I, um, when those things are happening in your life, um, you don't think of, Oh, let me sit down, you know, and let me talk to them about, you know, putting a recipe together. Uh, oh, mom, you know, how did you make this? You know, those are not the things you talk about, you think about when someone is sick, when someone is dying. You're not thinking that at all. And it wasn't till some years after everyone passing, because you go through phases, you go through and you have to mourn and you do all of these things. And after, especially after my mom passed, I became very, and I know that's part of mourning, but I was very angry. I was very angry that she was taken from us much too early. I was angry at everything. Um, and at one point, I didn't even want to cook. I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to bake. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything. I was so angry. Um, and I especially didn't want to cook Portuguese. I just, I was just like, I was, and that is a very honest thing. I, um, but when I came back to earth and I came back and I have my three daughters and I was, I had them and I wanted to make sure that they never forget 
number one, that I didn't want them to ever forget my mom. And I never wanted them to forget who they were. And I was doing a disservice to them if I didn't put this together. And I did it for them. I wrote things down for them, not for anyone else. And that is the honest to God's truth. I did not write, I could give a rat's ass. It wasn't for anyone else. It was for my three daughters. And I I did it because I said, okay, I've got to preserve these recipes, number one. My mom never wrote anything down. Everything was here, there, a little bit of this, a pinch of that, a palm of this. Oh, you put a, you know, you put this here in your palm. Well, your palm is bigger than my palm. It doesn't matter. It goes right in the center of the palm. Oh, okay. Then you do this. Oh, it looks that way. It smells this way. It does. It was never anything to start with, a base to start. And we all know when we're cooking, you can do by taste, by smell, whatever. But when it comes to baking, you've got to be precise. It is a science. Baking is science. And so those things of doing it was not, I couldn't replicate it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it exactly. And that got me to talking to my Aunt Lalia. My Aunt Lalia uh, married my mom's baby brother. And so my Uncle John and my Aunt Lalia, I would go to their house uh, once a week, every Friday. And I would have lunch with them. And, um, and we would go over recipes, we would go over family stories, we would go over, uh, we would just kind of like review things. And it was like, so wonderful for me in so many ways. And from those recipes, um, I started writing things down. And then there were some that were missing. They were just missing. And I'm like, I'm telling my husband, I'm like, you know, my Aunt Lalia didn't, you know, doesn't know this recipe that my mom would make, or she doesn't know this one or that one. Oh, I don't know about this and that. And he's like, Maria, you have a family in San Miguel. Just go back there, will you? Like, go back and, and cook with them. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let me go back. I gotta go back. And so I went back and I stayed with my cousin in, in their home. And every day I had I had another kitchen to cook in and I cooked sometimes a few days with my aunt Inej. I cooked a few days with my cousin Juan, his wife. I cooked so, so many days with Ladiana with, it was like Helena, Anna. I mean, I had them going, Oh, do you have this recipe? Oh, how about that one? Do you have this? And it was like, they were telling me, you know, all of these things. And it, it, it was just a beautiful way that it came together. And I always thought, and I think I shared this with you, Jeremiah, I always mm -hmm. thought that I could never compete with my mom's cooking because my mom was like this amazing cook. Whatever she would make, bake, cook, wh whatever it was, she just did it. She just did it. And it was amazing. And I, you know, it was a small little galley kitchen. And out of that small kitchen, these amazing things would come out of that small kitchen. And it would always like, I could never, I could never do it. I, could, I can't do that. I can't even compare. And when I was cooking with my, my Tia Inesh, and I spent with her, oh my goodness, I spent her a few days with her and we cooked and we baked together. Um, one of the first things we made together, I 
I literally broke down and cried because the house smelled just like if my mom would be making it. And it was the first time in a long time uh, since she had passed that I felt she was there. It was like, oh my God. Like it just, it brought me right back to my mom's kitchen. And I was just overwhelmed with it all. And my my aunt was like, oh my God, what did I do? What What's wrong? Why are you so upset? And I told her and she said, well, of course I, I cook like your mom. Your mom and I had the same teacher. And I'm thinking, teacher? No, my mom didn't have a teacher. My mom was a born cook. And she's like, oh no, honey. When she married your your father, which was her brother, she goes, your dad would come to my mom and say, oh my God, mom, she's a horrible cook. (laughs) (laughs) Could you teach her how to make whatever it was? Or could you show her how to bake whatever it was? My mom was a horrible cook. So it was my paternal grandmother who taught her how to cook. And of course, my maternal grandmother was the baking, but it was, it was the, she was not a born cook. And at that moment, things, that's when it changed for me. That's when it changed for me. And that's when I felt, oh my God, so I can cook like her. And, and I do, and I do, I can only say I do. Um, I, it, it's funny how sometimes we, we, we have all these family stories within our family that we're not even aware of. Um, we've got things that are out there that people don't, I mean, this would never have come up ever because it was just known. My mother was an amazing cook. <laughs> that was it. Whatever she made was fantastic. Uh, I never doubted it. I never, I never knew. And she wasn't going to tell anyone. She started off not knowing anything. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So to know that I can come from there and not question myself and if I can do it. Yeah, I know I can do it. If my mom could do it, I could do it. Um, it wasn't any more of that, um, that fear. Um, but when I put it together, my girls, of course, it was a gift for my girls, not only for my girls, but for my nieces and my nephews. And and I thought, well, in one day, you know, when I'm long gone, you know, my grandchildren will have it. That was my thought. But then you've got friends and you've got extended family and you've got other people who all of a sudden go, I want a copy. Well, I want a copy. No, I want a copy. So now I'm like, Oh, okay. So now I've got to print some copies, don't I? <laughs> so, all right. So I'm going to print, but I'm not going to print too much because, you know, who the heck's going to want my book? And this is, again, this is the honest to God's truth. And I, you know, when I surpassed the, because first I'm like, well, you know, it'll be nice to sell, you know, a thousand books. So of course it went over a thousand. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. All right. It'd be nice to sell, you know, 2000 books, you know, because again, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And it's like, oh, okay. And then it kept going up and then I'm like, okay, uh, if it hits 10,000 books, I'll be really happy. You know, that'd be really nice, but it's not going to happen. 
minute it happens. And then you go, okay, I'm going to stop counting here because obviously the book has a mind of its own. It has, <laughs> it has a mind of its own. It, it's going to do what it's going to do. And it's not me sitting back going, Oh, I wonder if it'll do this, this, and this. No, I've just let it go. I, I don't think about it anymore. And I can, and so when people say, well, how many copies have you sold? My answer back is more than I could ever imagine. And that is the honest to God's truth. It is, it has a mind of its own and it touches so many people. And when I wrote it, I cried writing it because when I talk about a certain recipe and I talk about the memory behind it, I literally am back in that memory and I am in the moment and I miss them all over again. Does that make sense? I just completely missed them all. And I, so I did, I cried when I was writing it all. I, I cried through the whole thing. And so when I finished and it's done and the whole bit and people are reading it now, people that have no clue who the heck I am. And I get messages, private messages of people saying, do you know, I read your book before I made the recipes. I read it from cover to cover. And I've never done that with a cookbook, but I cried reading it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, okay, maybe that's just, you know, one person is very sensitive. But then I got more people sending me notes saying how much the book touched them and it made them cry. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I've cried through the book writing it. Now people are reading it and crying. I'm making people cry in a cookbook. This is not, you know, it's, it's just, but my heart was in it. My heart, my total heart and soul was in that book. And so from that, I'm like, okay, I've got to write book too. But before I started even doing that, I'm starting to write little book, you know, recipes for this. I have my whole list of recipes for book two. And it's going to be a continuation of book one because there's stuff that I didn't put in there that will go in, in book two. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I get approached by, you know, PBS in Rhode Island to see if I'm interested in doing a cooking show based on the book. And I'm like, me? Sure. <laughs> okay. I've never done one before, but it, okay, sure. But with PBS, it really is a labor of love. And they do not give you money. You know, you've got to search for the money to make it happen. And you've got to find a production crew. And you've got to put it all together. And all of a sudden, I wear a hat of executive producer. Now, Jeremiah, how the heck do I become executive producer of a cooking show? I have no idea. But now I can have that on my list of things that I've done. And um, so I found uh, a wonderful sponsor, Baycoast Bank. They came on very quickly with uh, money. Um, to start filming. And last year, um, after um, I got the money in 2016, the end of 2016, and 2017, the beginning of the year, I called my uh, the production crew that I'm working with and uh, Dean. At, um, and I said, Dean, I think we just should just go with it. Let's do what we can with the money we have and go for it. What do you think? And he went, yep, let's do it. So the beginning of last year, we filmed 
um, four episodes in San Miguel, on the island of San Miguel. And that was completely amazing. Then we filmed uh, three episodes out in California. And I do get to make one of uh, my mom's cake with uh, Jeremiah, which that I can't wait. We were just editing that episode the other day. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's, um, it, it's going to be amazing. And then we did um, three more here in New England. And that was one uh, for Rhode Island, one in New Bedford, and one in Fall River. But the one in California, we did uh, Central Valley. Uh, that's an episode. Then we did one for uh, San Jose and, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, San Jose and San Francisco was one of them. And then the last one was Napa Valley. And I, they're just beautiful, beautiful. And it, and it's all, I kind of did it differently than based on just my book. I did it, I figured if, if this is, we're making history with this show. And it will be the first Portuguese cooking series on on uh, American TV. Um, and so I figured if I was going to make history with this show, this series, I was going to do it so that I introduced people to who we are. And it had to start in San Miguel because that's where I started. Uh, that's where I was born and it introduced the island and all the wonderful things that are there, including the cooking in volcanic steam, which I think is just truly amazing. Um, and then where the Portuguese went or the majority of us went when we immigrated over. And that was a lot to the West coast and a lot to the East coast. Um, but we're already working on season two and season one isn't done yet. <laughs> Really? Oh yeah, we're already planning season two. So excited! Yeah, and season two will take me to uh, the other islands in the Azores, um, and because I've we've got to do that, we've got to showcase all these other islands. I've got to go to Fayal, I've got to go to Tercera, I've got to go to Pico, I've got to go to Saint George, um, and yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where. Um, I know Santa Maria is really easy. That's a it's an easy hop from San Miguel to Santa Maria, um, but we've I've got to I've got to showcase the I've got to show love to the other islands um, because we all have our own little specialties in each of the islands. Um, so yeah, and at the rate it's going right now, it looks like we will be airing. Um, we will go live in our show if I'm not mistaken. Um, either the end of April, beginning of May. Wow. It is. Um, That's yeah. soon. So exciting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really crazy. It's really crazy. And um, of course, with um, working on this, with working with PBS, you can't have, um, um, how can I explain it? You can't have money from government. You can't have uh, entities that are foreign entities you can't work with or receive uh, foreign money. So it was um, 
really hard to say no to foreign money, but I had to say no to foreign money because that's how the, the bylaws are with PBS. If it was a, a regular, you know, TV station, I think that'd be different. But PBS, this is the rules and regulations that you go with. But I had um, SATA, which is the airline, um, the Azores airline, uh, donate to us our plane tickets that we took to go out to San Miguel, which was great. And then um, I had a hotel uh, group, um, the Besoud group, which is like the the largest Azorian hotel group, if I'm not mistaken, um, as well as I think in Portugal. Uh, or I should say they're a, um, oh, they're a small, how does it call? It's um, a boutique hotel. That's it. Uh, they're the largest boutique hotel in Portugal. And they uh, also gave us all our hotel rooms, which that helped us immensely and made the original um, sponsorship money go even further. Um, so we could not have done it without all of their help. Really, we couldn't have done it. And uh, And I can't believe all the things we've done. And I look back at it, and it's funny because this weekend, uh, Dean had sent me a teaser to say, okay, Maria, here's the teaser of the four episodes in San Miguel. And I'm looking at it going, oh, my God, I was there. <laughs> it wasn't a dream. <laughs> you know, it, this is what happened, and it looks so beautiful, and I, I just can't, I can't wait till, you know, people see it. So last year was all about filming about finding money, about editing, about voiceovers, about, it was all about the show last year. So the writing, the second book took a stop last year, but um, it's now picked up again. So working on book two again. Um, and I hope to have it out this year. I really do. That's my goal. Sounds like a very busy year, but an exciting one. Lots of fun projects. And I can't wait to get to watch you on TV. I think that's going to be really, really fun. Um, in the meantime, just to kind of tide over us and our listeners, is there one recipe from your current book that you would say, please, please make this. You'll fall in love with Portuguese baking. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, this weekend I made kavakash, and I was going to say you've made kavakash before, correct? Yeah, and someone else did too. <laughs> I have to interject here. So yesterday I made kavakash, <laughs> and how did you like it? I made your recipe, and we made twenty-four, and they are all gone. Uh, <laughs> If that's any evidence at all, they were delicious and they were a joy to make too. I really enjoyed the process. It, it, um, it's so good. It's, it's funny because I had someone ask me, where did this originate? This recipe originate? Did it come from San Miguel? Where did it come from? And I have people sending me this all the time in messages on my Isra and Green Bean page. And I wrote back and I said, I, I really don't know for the simple fact that I just grew up eating it. My mom would make it. My grandmother would make it. You would go to a party. Somebody would, would bring kavakaj. Um, so it was something that I was always, I've always used or had around me. You know what I mean? Um, so I really never even thought, oh, where did it originate from? 
So someone was saying that it's a different, like a crispier one that comes from the mainland. Um, like a different, a smaller one. I guess they're smaller and crunchier. Never, I have no idea. Um, that'll be on your book, uh, Jeremiah. Because oh, when yeah, it comes to history, history of stuff and whatever, I know that you're going to be doing an amazing, I cannot wait for your book. <laughs> I really can't. I can't wait for it because for all those times that people send me stuff and say, well, where did it originate from? Where, you know, when I bake, when I cook, I'm not, I'm not thinking that. I try as much as I can to know, but that really isn't my, that's, you know, kavakash for me is something I just grew up with. And, um, and that is so, so simple to make. The, and the thing is, is where I tried making it the way that they had done and they would use, you know, they would whip it by hand. They didn't have a mixer whipping it up for 15, 20 minutes. You know, they would do this by hand because kavakash has no leveling, um, ingredient in it it's all air in in how it makes it rise so the key thing is to have all adding all that air to the batter so that when you put it in your um your tins and it goes in the oven it literally pops up and it opens up in the center and it cracks and you know and if you want it crunchier you know you just let it bake a little bit longer and then when the glaze the lemon glaze goes over it I mean, that's the only sweetness that's in it is the glaze. So for someone who doesn't like something overly sweet, that is the perfect dessert to start with. Um, and I think from just my, um, how did it go? I posted it this weekend because my husband woke up on Saturday and truly, I'm very honest whenever I put anything on Facebook on my page. I woke up that morning, and usually Saturday mornings are very late back in my home. Not like when I grew up. Saturday mornings, you woke up very early, and you had to clean. The house had to be spotless. And uh, so Saturday was Saturday mornings were, was a cleaning day. But in my home now, <laughs> when you wake up in the morning, you kind of take your time. You have your coffee. You have your breakfast. You might go out for breakfast. You know, whatever. But my husband woke up Saturday morning, and he had a craving. And he's like, Maria, you haven't made kavakash in a while. Uh, I'm craving kavakash. I'm like, oh, okay, honey. I'll make you some kavakash. And there it began. So I made it. And then I was like, you know, let's see. Um, let, let, me, let me post this. Let me do it where I'm putting the glaze on it and just let everybody know this is how my morning's going. And this is what I made and what we're enjoying. And I, I'll tell you, the... It, it's it's just really I can't explain it. I had over almost 500 shares on that video with the recipe. That was just over 500 shares. Um, and then what was even more kind of crazy was that the views of seeing me drizzle that over the um, uh, what do you call it? The kavakash, the drizzle on it. Oh, I can't, I, I can't remember now what it was. Now, it was it was this huge amount of viewership. I have a reach of over, yeah, over 75,000 people reach of just wow. that little video of me putting that over the, and people went crazy. They went crazy. Um, and that, 
that is my number one anytime I place it. And I, I told my husband after, I said, yeah, no kidding. I, I, I knew this already. And uh, even a year or so back, that was my number one recipe of people asking me. That was my number one, was kavakash. So I guess we're going to do kavakash for everyone to try out. I, I think that, <laughs> I think that would be the the simple one, and um, I mean, and the thing is, is it's it's a very, I was going to say first milk tart, because milk tart is something you're going to find in the Azores more than you will anywhere else because of how much milk we have and that we use um, or that's available to us. You know what I mean? But we can do the Portuguese popovers, kavakash. Um, I love it. All right. Now, how did yours come out? Oh, mine were fantastic. I adore your recipe. And Amanda, were you happy with yours? I was thrilled. I definitely, like I have my stack of recipes that I like to work through. And then I have a book where I put all of the keeper recipes, the ones I want to make again. And definitely it's in that book now, solidly. (laughs) My whole family loved them. My daughter found them irresistible to the point that she actually got in trouble for sneaking nibbles. Um, Like I said, I I made 24 and I think she may have nibbled bites out of about 18 of them. So (laughs) she's four years old and she does not normally eat a lot. So that's really saying something. I mean, she really became possessed by them. So yeah, they were incredible. Yeah. It's, um, how can I explain it? My mom would make it every year around carnival just before, um, you know, we would go into the, you know, the no sugar, no, you know, any of that stuff before, um, it was just around that time, um, that she would make it besides the molasadas, the fried dough, um, she would make that, but she would also make the kavakas. And I mean, the thing is, is the recipe that I, I have in my book is for 24, but it can be easily cut in half. And that's what I did on Saturday. I cut the recipe in half because it was just my husband and I at home this weekend. And I'm thinking, I there is no way I'm going to make 24 and have it hanging around the house. There is no way. And kavakash is best eaten the day it's made. I mean, the because they're still a little crunchy on the, and the next day they're not as crunchy. So the, the key thing on that for me is um, if you're going to make them, you make sure you enjoy them that day um, because that is the best. That is the best way to do it. But if you want me to share the recipe with everyone, I can say it out loud to everyone. Um, the, the ingredients are two cups of flour, a cup of oil, and the oil I use is I use canola oil. You can use corn oil. You can use, you know, other I have never used olive oil. I think olive oil, the flavor would be too strong for this. Um, a half cup of whole milk and eight eggs at room temperature. And it's really important, I think for me, whenever baking is to have things at room temperature. Um, I think it makes a difference when um, for rising, for cooking, for things to be, um, is to, you know, and people go room temperature, really? I don't need to put... Yeah, folks, you know, eggs in room temperature. It's okay. You can do it. Um, And the other thing is when you start is to preheat the oven at 350, you know, before you even start any of the stuff. You need to make sure you grease your tins 
Now, I use just regular cupcake uh, tins. If, but I've done other times where I've taken making 24 uh, recipe, making because this is a recipe for 24, and I've made 12 out of the jumbo muffin tins. And they become huge kavakas. Um, and I've also made these into the smaller uh, cupcake tins, which then again gives me double that. So I can make 48 little ones. So it's really very easy to work with this recipe, depending on how you like this. So you're going to grease the, um, the regular size muffin tins or whatever a popover tins because someone had said, I use this in a popover tin. I, I didn't even think of that. I mean, I'm calling them Portuguese popovers, but you know, yeah, you can, I guess you can use your, your popover tins and then using an electric mixer, you're going to be all of the ingredients, the flour, the oil, the milk, the eggs, all for at least 15, 20 minutes without stopping because Again, you're adding air into this um, into this dough. And that's the key thing for this dough. Because if you don't do that, they will not rise up and pop over. Um, now, I have my stand mixer. And for those that have a stand mixer, I use my KitchenAid. And what I do is I put it on level six. I find that that's the perfect level for this. And I just pretty much you know walk away from it, which is great. Um, and you can do that. But the key thing is, is to not stop. You need to beat it on high and you need to beat it for all that time. Then you're going to fill the, the tins uh, no more than halfway because if you've done it right, they're going to pop over. So you're going to bake in the middle of the, of the rack in the oven. And for a moist kavaka, you're going to bake for about 45 minutes tops. But then again, every oven is different. I don't know how your ovens are out there. If yours um, cooks fast, then you need to look at maybe, you know, a less time than that. And if you want them a little drier, uh, because there are some people who do like a drier kavaka, it's an hour. But then again, all depending on oven. And, but it's all until it gets a nice golden color. And they do. They pop up and they kind of pour over a little and when they're just taking them out of the oven that's when I do the sugar glaze and that is two cups of confectioner sugar zest of one lemon and about two tablespoons of milk more or less depending on the thickness of the glaze there's no right or wrong here folks there are some people who like a thicker glaze there's some that like a thinner glaze so it's really however you like that. And while they're still warm, you're going to spoon the glaze over each and every one of them. Or sometimes what I do is I take them out of the tin and I just submerge the whole top of it into the glaze. And let me tell you, either way, you cannot go wrong. And, uh, and you have to serve it on the same day and enjoy it. And that's the recipe. I mean, that's it. You can't get any easier than that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I truly hope everyone makes them. They are yes, so they delicious. they really are. And, uh, and for those that, um, you know, try that and you'll see 
just how um just how easy our baking is for like little treats. Well, Maria, we can't thank you enough for spending this time with us and inspiring us and sharing all your just beautiful stories with us. I my whole day is just going to be so much lighter having had you in my morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I'm very how can I explain it? I'm very blessed to be surrounded by good people. And and you're one of those people. You'll always be one of those people, sweetheart. Oh. And I I truly feel we're all interconnected. I truly feel that. And I um I have known it and I've seen it since the first time I laid eyes on you. You um oh. you will I am I'm so 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 proud of you. I'm proud of you both here. But with you know Jeremiah, I'm so proud of you because I know you're going to take whatever it is with our culture. You're going to take it one step further, and I, I just know it. I just know it. I'm saying it here, folks. I'm telling it like it is, and <laughs> I um, and I I can't wait. I can't wait because you know we 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 need it. We need it, and um. And I, I think your cookbook is going to add a whole other dimension um, to what is out there. And uh, and it's very needed. And I can't wait. I just can't wait, honey. Thank you. Your support and guidance just means the world to me. And so much of what you talked about today really resonates, I think, in the time that we're living in. And it's just so special to hear these stories and think about how it affects our, how growing up and where we come from affects our lives. Um, so thank you so much. We could be here all day with you. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure just learning about your beautiful culture and your beautiful heart. And I hope our listeners really enjoy just kind of this peek into a world that for some of us is really unfamiliar, but one we'd like to know more about. Yeah. And I can't, you're going to have to come visit, you know. <laughs> it's on the list <gasps> for sure. <laughs> you know, I've been trying uh, not not anything to do with baking. I, this is now with uh, um, going to uh, Terra Nostra, which is a botanical garden in mm-hmm. the center of the crater on uh, in the island of San Miguel. In the center of the crater, or the mouth of the volcano, there is a botanical garden that is over. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's like 26 acres. And it is the most amazing, amazing garden anyone could ever think of. There are plants there that go back to dinosaur ages. And there is just this feeling and energy that is palpable. You can actually be in this uh, sitting in this garden and you can feel the energy in it. And I keep saying one of these days, there's going to be a yoga class that happens in that garden. Or a meditation <laughs> retreat of some sort in that garden. But I hope, Amanda, that you'll be able to get to that uh, island and that you make sure you go to that um, center of the crater um, in the mouth of a volcano and sit in the garden and just feel the energy that's around you because there is nothing like that anywhere else on this earth. And, um, and you'll know. You'll know sitting there. 
you'll know. It sounds amazing. Well, I'm, I'm putting all this burden on Jeremiah. I expect him to take me. So, <laughs> and so at some point you'll see the pictures popping up on Instagram or somewhere of Jeremiah tour guiding me around <laughs> all the best places. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. All right. Thank you everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.